Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcast, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey for engaging more deeply with your life. I provide stories from my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means the world to me. I'm Becca Piastrelli, and this is Belonging, where I talk about what it means to belong to the earth, to yourself, to your ancestors, and in community. Hi friends, welcome back to Belonging. Today's episode is a conversation with an Anishinaabe or Ojibwe medicine woman, healer, and spiritual mentor named Asha Frost. Asha is a member of the Chippewas of Nawash First Nation in the colonized nation of Canada near Toronto. And um, she's an incredible soul seer and visionary and believes that we can all reclaim our roots and deepest medicines, no matter our lineages. So I asked Asha on because she wrote this very powerful and viral blog post titled, Dear White Woman Who Wants to Be Like Me. And I found this post to be very powerful. And you'll find out why in our conversation together, including... This is wild. As I was reading a part of it, all of a sudden, men with a chainsaw showed up and were cutting down a tree next door. And it was, I was questioning it, like, should I try again? And Asha was like, no, I don't question that this is happening at this moment. My voice is shaking. It's, it was very intense. And then when we were done with the interview, they were just like gone, kind of a wild experience. So Asha and I talk about her experience being a First Nation woman of Turtle Island, of having grandparents who grew up on the reserve, who were sent to residential school, which you'll learn more about if you don't know about that governmental program in both Canada and the United States, devastating. And her experience of carrying the generational trauma of being Indigenous, of being First Nations to Turtle Island and how that's impacted her body and how she struggles with lupus and autoimmune disease and how that's impacted uh, her child and how she works with it. She also talks about the impact of having an article like this go viral. And um, you'll hear my very naive response to her saying she got backlash from it and how she navigated that, the harm that that backlash caused her as a First Nation woman. We'll talk about a cultural appropriation. And I really, I ask you to listen to this because she brings a beautiful perspective that I think will really land for those of us who maybe struggle with understanding, like the fog of whiteness can make us feel like, wait, why? I don't understand why. And she gives a deeper perspective as to the whys of things. She also works with animal spirits or spirit animals. That's a really important part of her practice and her work with clients And we talk about the ways in which this term, spirit animal, has really been appropriated and caused, it's just been problematic. I know you know what I mean when you say coffee is your spirit animal. Don't say that. 
That's kind of, no, it is disrespectful to her lineage. And she shares more about her practice and the animals she works with. We talk about her dream practices, how she travels in dreams, and how she works to bring sacredness and understanding to this concept of healing, how that's different from curing, that healing is not necessarily about being healed. I really adore Asha and all she has to share. Uh, I think this woman is going places and her voice needs to be heard. So I'm, I hope you enjoy and learn a lot from this conversation with the exquisite Asha Frost. Both of our ancestors are here and this is an important conversation. I also love, like I love sharing these in my community and I just feel like I'm so grateful to folks like you that reach out because I just feel like different, I get to share different things I don't always get to share. So I'm just asking my ancestors to guide me and what needs to be shared today. So miigwech, thank you. Mm-hmm. And what is the medicine you're burning today? Today I'm burning some sweet grass, some rosemary, and some mullein. Oh, lovely. Mm-hmm. They came to me in dreams last night, so I thought I needed to honor them and, and do some smudging with them. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, do you have a pretty active dream practice? I do. Well, I do. it's just a lot of traveling at night. So I've been actually practicing, <laughs> practicing not traveling. I, this week, like about five people reached out and said, you came to my dream last night, like on the same night. And I thought, okay, this is why I'm so tired. I have to sleep. <laughs> like, can I, I sleep? <laughs> so I've been practicing rooting down in my nighttime. Mm-hmm. And just grieving for myself, which is like just a different practice. I've never really done that. So it's mm-hmm. been great. Yeah. Well, beautiful. Thank you so much for beginning us in this way. And I'm so grateful you're here and speaking to me and we're finally connected in real time. Mm And that we've been connected before through the magic of the internet and our souls and our ancestors. So I'm just so grateful you're here. And I'd love for us to begin in honoring you and your ancestors um, if you can name your people and what lands you're on now. Yes. So I am Anishinaabe and I live on Anishinaabe lands, Haudenosaunee lands, and here on Wendat lands. And my, yes, both of my parents are Anishinaabe and my grandparents are. So that's, that's who I am. That's where I'm from. Mm-hmm. My first nation that I'm from is Neoshingagaming, which is also called Cape Croker, and it is, I'm north of Toronto, but this First Nation is on the Georgian Bay. So it's about three hours away from where I live now. Mm-hmm. And you grew up in the First Nations community? I didn't, know. I grew up in Newmarket, oh. actually, but I go home often, and my grandmother still lives there, and a lot of my family still lives there, so I visit a lot. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, something that I really appreciate about the way you share yourself is, you know, it it sort of seems like, and please correct me if I'm wrong, being like a descended from settlers is particularly because you're so connected to the first nation community that there's almost like straddling two worlds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I find you can, you can speak to both worlds that that sort of feels like okay like I hear what you're saying where as I found as I strive to follow more indigenous folks on Turtle Island and learn there's sort of like are you like on the reservation and what are you sharing and and what is your life or you know it's very complicated because you know like intermarrying and like what does it even mean to be indigenous these days like there's so much history there there's so much tragedy there and I just find that something I really appreciate is about the way you share is you're like I'm a modern woman I'm a mother Mm -hmm. you know and I'm a medicine woman I'm a healer and I'm first nation and so it's it's like straddling two worlds but it's also like the timelessness of being while also being right here in this modern time that feels important. Yes. Yes. Well, 
I think that I'm, I mean, it's a journey, right? It's a journey to come home to who we truly are. And also a journey in, I love how your podcast is called belonging, because I think for all of us, a journey to feel like we belong somewhere. And because I wasn't raised on the reserve and for various reasons, and most of them rooted in trauma, my father's family, um, when he was younger, they left the reserve because they, because of all of the discrimination and racism against people. So they left. And then my, my mother just knew that raising us somewhere else would, would just lead to a more healed path in her, in her view for what she had for a vision for us and for her grandchildren, I think. So that's so, and you know, it's interesting because then, you know, you kind of start to feel like, well, where do I belong? I don't belong, you know, with these, with these voices and I don't belong with these voices. So trying to find my own voice, my own presence and where my medicine belongs has been such a journey that's ongoing to this very second. Mm. It's something that is, I think, within us all. So I think that I am the bridge. I am the bridge to bring those two worlds together and then trying to just walk in how my soul speaks to me. Mm. Yeah, you, you mentioned it's been a journey to come home to who you are. And I mean, I so agree. I think we're all on our own individual journey. And I'm curious to know more about what your journey has been. I know it involves your health. And I know it involves straddling these two worlds. And, and so maybe you could share a bit more. I mean, okay, I'll just say you have this incredible article called Dear White Woman Who Wants to Be Like Me. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll like dive a little bit more into cultural preparation in a minute. But He said, I love who I am. I am a proud Ashinaabe Ojibwe woman, and it's taken me 42 years to get here. Hmm. And so I'd love to hear more about whatever feels resonant today about that journey to get there. Hmm, Yes. Well, I think growing up, I felt, you know, we grew up in this this town north north of Toronto. It's called Newmarket. And there weren't a lot of Indigenous folks here. So I would listen to the things that people would say, you know, about Indigenous people, all of the stereotypes, they would use them on me too, you know, oh, your family's probably drunk and all oh, you live off welfare and all of these things. And so I just started to think or get the impression, well, this isn't a good thing. It's not a good thing to be an Indigenous person. So I'm just not going to be that. So I'm going to hide the gifts that my grandparents give me. I'm going to put my earrings, beaded earrings in a jewelry box and tuck them underneath and I'm going to disconnect from this true identity because it doesn't seem like it's a good thing to be me. And I did that for my probably most of my childhood, even though my mother had our teachings rooted in our home and she was always sharing them with us. There was always that thread going under, you know, that was rooted through how we were learning that, you know, it, you know, this is being an Anishinaabe person is a beautiful thing, but society told me it wasn't. So it was like a disconnect. And I really believe that when I was diagnosed with lupus at 17, that was a result of that disconnect. It was that fight between who I truly was and who I felt the world wanted me to be or who was accepted by the world. So when I got sick at 17, then everything just started unraveling. I really needed to examine how I was going to heal, what was working for me and what wasn't. And that led me to the earth. It led me back to my ancestral ways and teachings. And of course, it led me to my own healing journey, working with many, many healers and medicine people to regain my own health. And in that process, I started to awaken to all my spiritual gifts that have always been there, but the things that I suppressed and ignored because it felt just different. So that was that was like the beginning of that journey of, kind of unraveling all of those conditionings and all of those beliefs and really coming home to how was my spirit speaking to me? My guides would show up at night. My ancestors would come and they would drum and chant and I would just hide under my blankets. And I think, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. That just seems like too much. But then I didn't have a choice because I got sick. So that's the awakening. That was the awakening. Wow. And so that returning to what the ancestors were telling you returning to the earth. I can imagine in like the sort of like uh, childhood desire to assimilate 
and also living in society and culture that sort of viewed First Nations people as being like, you know, poor and drunk and whatever, mm-hmm. that that could feel that, you know, that sort of like cognitive dissonance within yourself. I mean, I feel it sort of when I like, I resonate with the word witch and I think like, mm-hmm. is it safe? Like, am I weird? Even though it feels like the best thing that could possibly be true in my, like when I work with these plants, when I remember the ways of my ancestors on in, of old Europe, like it feels so good. And then like, do I look weird? Do I look crazy? Will I be like, will I be safe doing this? Did that come up for you? Oh, yes. I think that still comes up. I still think that it's a really deep trauma, I think, that many of us hold. So calling, sort of coming into claiming, right? Is that reclaiming and saying, for the longest time, it was just reclaiming my own teachings because I would see non-Indigenous people practicing them or teaching them and think, oh my goodness, I don't even feel worthy of teaching these or showing up with these because we've been so you know, it's been taken from us for so long and squashed out of my own living ancestors. Mm. So I didn't even feel like I was worthy of practicing them for for many, many years. I would do it in private and secret. I wouldn't share it necessarily, you know, in my own private practice. It was just, it's a lot to reclaim. It takes a lot of courage and also a lot of a lot of healing through that really ancient trauma that lives in our cellular memories, I think in our blood. So that really speaks to me. And I think that it speaks to many people who are trying to reclaim many aspects of themselves, but especially their deepest medicine. Mm -hmm. Can you say more about what their deepest medicine is, what our deepest medicine is? Yes. I believe that we all come here with that particular unique power and presence. And perhaps I think that our journey is just about layers of uncovering that and rooting into it and claiming it. And I don't believe necessarily that everybody needs to be on a stage or a healer, have a healing practice. Like I know a lot of people dream of those things, but I believe that our presence helps to, you know, bring the consciousness up on the earth and our presence, even somebody, their medicine might be, they have an amazing smile and their smile heals people, or they have the medicine of mothering. And that's how their particular power is meant to be used in the world. So I think if we, if we can really lean into that and really find it and claim it, we just become more aligned in how we're walking in, in our lives. And I believe that if we all walk in our medicines, we all, and we all appreciate the ones that we carry, I just think it would be a better world. I know it's a it's a dream I have, but I see that in those that I mentor and those that I help find their own medicine. Once they they root into that, it's like they just there's more joy. There's more joy and and light that seems to flow out of them. Hmm. Yeah, I'm curious about how you've worked with your lupus, with yeah. your like within within what your your deepest medicine is within reclaiming who you are reclaiming your indigeneity and also like navigating western medical world like how cuz i you know i i think a lot about chronic illness autoimmune and the the various like ancestral perspectives and then western perspectives eastern perspectives and they all really interest me because mm-hmm. I find it's just like you cannot look at it in a linear mindset. That's just not how it works. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to know how, you, how you've been navigating that in your body. Yes. Well, I, I was just talking about this with my therapist today actually about my body and how I believe my indigenous body holds that trauma and it's expressed through these lupus symptoms. And... I've been really curious about that because I've been um, in Canada right now. There's a lot of discussion around the earth and the pipelines that that the government wants to build through this First Nation space and the earth. And there's a lot, there's just a lot going on. And I have felt my body has taken a hit. And this morning I really heard my spirit say, my body is the earth. My body is the earth. And I believe for me, I can only speak for myself. And for this one Indigenous body, that that it's taking a hit and that some of my lupus symptoms have flared as a result of what's going on on the earth right now. So I believe we're all connected in that way. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we just need to listen 
more to what's going on in our bodies and how what's being expressed. And I do believe that's why autoimmune conditions tend to be a little more present for, for folks of color and women of color in particular, because I think our bodies are the earth and we feel what's going yeah. on in the earth and across the earth. So that's something that I've been really exploring lately and just in trying to heal the lupus and trying to heal these physical symptoms, just really acknowledging the impact of what's going on with our earth right now and how it's being expressed through my physical body, which kind of makes me a little emotional because it's, it's really deep. Yeah. It's so deep. Yeah. This, this connection to body and earth, I'm feeling it in my body as you speak. I'm feeling the sorrow of, of like my colonizer ancestors and the part they played in all of this. And I'm also feeling myself be pregnant right now and really feel like this Western minded desire to like cure myself, mm-hmm. to just, to just make the symptoms go away, mm-hmm. to just be okay again. And I think that's interesting with like autoimmune in particular chronic illness. Like you really, if you have that mindset, you'll deeply suffer. Mm-hmm. Whereas if your body is the earth and the earth is your body and you're listening to what it's telling you, there's like a softening, a surrendering into discomfort. I'm certainly feeling that way where I've just decided in the last week with the help of my elder and community and and my ancestors and my guides and my husband to be like, okay, well, maybe this is just how life is created. Maybe life is created through like nausea and like, lightning bolts of pain through my pelvis and migraines. And then also these little moments of catching my breath and feeling that like, maybe that's what this is. Like maybe that's, it's so much greater than just wanting to cure a feeling of discomfort. And so I'm hearing you talking about ancestral lands, having pipelines put through them and all that's happening for First Nations people around this globe fighting, putting their their bodies in front of the earth and saying no, and how that can manifest in the body and how you are sensing that because we are it's a web, we're all connected. So that it's resonating deeply with me, what you're saying. And I'm also sorry for the ways you have suffered. Thank you. How well I think we can all relate to this. And the more that we do listen to those, to those callings of our body and the connection, how we all really have this web of connection, the more that we can sink into that, I think we could have compassion for ourselves and each other. I hear you on sort of that mindset to like fix things, you know, it's like it's almost like a panic, like, oh my gosh, I'm suffering. How do I fix this? Even even from like a well, like a new age wellness or like alternative wellness, it's like, what protocol do I go on? What smoothies do I drink? What raw diet do I go? Like it's, it's, I think it flows through every aspect of our healing community. Um, and what I've had to learn is to just, yes, I take those pieces in and then I have to sit with it and say, and what is best for me? How is this? Is this shaming? Am I shaming myself by doing this? Am I being more critical? Am I trying? I I tend to push hard, try hard, mm. do better. So I have yeah. to really lean back. And for me, that's to lean back into deer medicine, which is one of my main teachers, and say, what's going to create softening, compassion, self love? What's going to just not be harsh and critical in my body right now? Because sometimes even those things that appear good for us can still be um, harsh for me to go on like a 28 day juice cleanse, right? That's just, it's probably not the most gentle thing for my body at this moment. Yeah. And I think that's, um, I find this word healing and heal very interesting because I hear you talking about being on this healing journey. And I also hear you embracing that, you know, your lupus symptoms flare up and you can feel the deeper connection to generational trauma and what's happening to the earth right now. And you also are very much embracing healing. And I wonder how many people like conflate healing with cured. Hmm. 
you know what I mean? This sort of like finality to it, like the end destination versus the journey. Yes. Yes. I think that it's so interesting because people will say that to me, like, well, are you cared? Do you still have lupus symptoms? If I speak about healing and I say, well, I do, of course I do. And who knows if I'll ever be cured and by whose standards. But what I do know is that these symptoms create space for me to birth my medicine over and over again. And that has been profound and powerful for me. So I am grateful. I am grateful for what lupus has shown me and what it's taught me and the wisdom that it's, I don't know, revealed to me, I guess. It's very powerful. So it's just, I guess, making a relationship with it and feeling like feeling love for it in some way, because if I didn't, then I'd be fighting and my body's already fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful connection there. So I heard you when you were talking about, we were just diving into this topic. You were talking about connecting your lupus symptoms and your body with ancestral and generational trauma, which as I hope most of us know listening for First Nation folks in particular is like pretty brutal and continues to this day. If anyone hasn't looked up this epidemic of missing and murdered Indigenous women, please educate yourself. It's horrifying. And um, you wrote this incredible blog post called Dear White Woman Who Wants to Be Like Me. And is it okay if I read a part of it? Oh, of course. Okay. So, dear white woman, I want to ask you this. I know you would take on the dream catchers and the powwows. I know that you would take on the headdress and the sage. I know that you would take on the wisdom and the beauty. But do you want the rest of it, truly? Would you like to experience people asking to collaborate with you so they can receive grants for their work? Would you like to be seen and treated as less than when you have pneumonia and are in desperate need of hospital care? Asked by medical professionals how much alcohol you've had to drink when all you need is medicine? Would you like to have big dreams and wonder every single day whether you will ever be seen and honored the way people with lighter skin are? Would you like to feel physically ill every time you read the comment section and you see the horrible views society has about your people? Would you like to shake violently afterwards and wonder if you and your children are safe in this world? Would you take on a painful chronic illness and later wonder if part of the reason you have it is due to the oppression and pain your people have experienced? Would you take all of this on too? There is a tree being cut down. Is it really loud behind me that there's a thing being cut? I can hear the tree being cut down, but maybe it's like perfect timing somehow. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I feel it in my body. I'll just take a breath here. So reading those words and literally hearing a tree being cut down behind me is very intense. And also I so appreciate them. And I wonder, it must've been a hard thing to write. And I so appreciate the way you're connecting cultural appropriation, this taking, which you talked about earlier, the taking of traditions of sacred rituals that were, at least in the United States until 1978, illegal, could get a First Nations person jailed, have their hair cut off, have their children taken away from them, and then see white women today with their dream catchers, with the headdresses, with the feathers, with the beaded earrings, and to feel that anger or whatever the word is, sadness, like that lack of connection, like do you understand what it means to have this identity? And I love the way you did that because I find a lot of cultural appropriation conversations are important and educational and are more like right and wrong. Whereas this is like, do you get it? Do you get the deeper impact here? And do you understand what it is to live with this blood in your veins? So I, I want to thank you as the chainsaw goes behind me to say thank you so, so much for making that connection for all of us. And I wonder... How, what's been the impact of you or what, what had you writing that in the first place and what's been the impact of it? Oh gosh. It's something that's been in my, in my bones for probably 10 years. 
probably when I started doing like teaching work in the world, it started to just become so clear. And it was just the shaking. I would just shake and wonder why am I having such a like visceral reaction to this? Like what's going on? So I just, but I didn't ever want to, you know, I wanted to people please. I wanted to like, just keep everything on the down low and be okay with everything. And then one day it really just felt like I can't do this anymore for my own healing and for my children. I think when I had children, I started to see how I don't want to pass these things on to them. And it just became a non-negotiable. And I thought I need to say something because in mostly I'd say on social media, you know, there are times where I see people share, share something like a smudge or something, and I wouldn't feel that shaking. And there'd be other times where I would feel that. So I had to take some time to discern what's the difference. Why does that person trigger this? And why does that person not trigger this? And so I did take the time to really do that. And I just think it, it came back to an honoring, a respect, which is why I say that I'm not the smudge police. I'm not the dream catcher police. I'm not, I'm not trying to shame anyone. I'm just trying to have an invitation and conversation around this is the impact it can have on people. So can you hold space for that? Can you, can you research about the missing and murdered Indigenous women? Can you know about what's going on with our people and our lands? Just can you hold space for it all and then, and then be an ally and a voice? So that's the, the reason why I wrote it. As a healer, I think my voice is more of like a healing voice because I really want to be that bridge and call people in, in a way where I'm not getting them in trouble or shaming them, but just saying, can your heart bust open here and can you come in and have a conversation with me about this topic mm -hmm. so that was the original reason why I wrote it mm -hmm. right right and there are other people who can be the dream catcher police and the smudge <laughs> police and I honestly think that's something with the people with like white privilege can do you mm -hmm. know it's something I certainly try to gently but firmly educate on um, these words, smudge, the concept of spirit animal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are your indigenous crafts, are they indigenous made? Who made mm -hmm. them? Where does your money go when you buy it? Does it go to them? You know, did you buy that smudge? That that Did you buy that sage at Urban Outfitters? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because they yeah. sell it. Yeah. Like, and I, I think that's something I'm happy to take on. You know, and quite frankly, um, that's what my privilege affords me. Whereas I really hear you saying, this is how it impacts me and I'm here to heal. Yeah. You're, and you know what? I really appreciate that. I really appreciate, I might have a very different op opinion about this. I, I don't consider myself a racial educator or any of those things, but I do, I really do appreciate white women sharing with me and sharing for me like in those ways I do appreciate that collaboration because I do see what I saw after this letter is that white women will listen to other white women more than they'll listen to my voice so when oh. women share I know that sounds heartbreaking but it's true I, so when I see a white woman sharing those things I am never the person to say how dare you share speak for me because what I see is like another group of people perhaps coming into a conversation that I wouldn't be able to touch. So I really appreciate that. And what I started to notice too, before I wrote this was that in our social media realm, just the white women rising and the spiritual white leaders being the voice for, for our whole spiritual community. And that just could be so hurtful every day. So I needed a way to get my name and my presence out there as well yeah because it's not um it's not a fair world out there it's not equitable it's just there's so much privilege in our communities yeah so that letter really sort of expanded my voice and got me a little bit more of a platform so I'm so grateful for that and I'm grateful yeah. for the white women that came forward to say we're gonna help you we're gonna help you spread yeah. this word to the people that need to hear it mm -hmm. yeah I just feel like I want to listen to and learn from the original medicine women of this land, hmm. you know, and that's you <laughs> and that's, there's others like you out there, but I just, you know, when I land on your website and I see the sage and I see the dream catcher and I see your bead, your beads. And I just, I lean in and I say, I want to learn. 
and I want to repair. I want to repair, you know, and there's, because I'm alive in this time. We're alive in this time. I've had privilege. I have access like, okay, I want to listen to you and I want to repair this. So thank you for writing that (laughs) and whatever it did for you. Um, And if any way it was hard for you, I just want to thank you for what you did because it really landed in a, in a deep way. Oh, thank you. And I will speak to that a little bit about the the being hard part because it it really caused a lot of disruption. It caused a lot of disruption and, you know, just a, I had to, I was in a bit of a trauma state. I was in a bit frozen state for about a month where I just couldn't open my emails anymore. Cause I just, the, the amount of backlash that it brought forward was, was hard to handle. I wasn't expecting it was shared over like 23,000 times or something. And I wasn't expecting that at all. I cannot believe you had backlash, but that's me and my bubble. There was a lot. Oh, there was a lot. Yes. Yeah. So I actually have a part two that's sort of waiting to go, but to, to, to just to address some of this, but some of it, like just in my past life, I was a Cherokee, you know, uh-huh. all of these things that come that that's just the white fragility piece. And yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to be on the other end of that. I, I didn't realize how hard it was until it happened. Um, but now it's been a couple months and I feel like I'm rooted back into feeling safe and it's okay to speak my voice. Hmm. I'm interested in how you, your practices, your rituals for rooting back into feeling safe, because I feel like all of us in this time, we're recording this just after some of the major primary elections here in the States. Mm -hmm. There's a lot up for us this year, Mm -hmm. um, continuing with elections here and just the general conversation. This is not at all limited to the United States, obviously, but just a, a tense time where we're feeling the desire to speak our truth, stand up for what we believe in, and also the the very real fear of discomfort, of confrontation, of disagreement, of harm. And so I'm curious what you could, maybe it's not your, if your rituals are personal to you, I certainly respect that, but what can you, what wisdom can you share with us for rooting back and grounding into feeling safe so we can continue our work? Of course. I think for me, it's about some nervous system practices. Um, For me, what I really find helpful is going and lying like on the earth and just lying there. Isn't that the best? It is. It just resets my nervous system fully. And I needed to do that a lot when this first happened. I also, I use a lot of animal spirit medicine. So the animals that I work with the most are bear and eagle and deer and buffalo. So I will use that. I'll ask them to kind of wash over me and allow me to embody them. So I have their roar and their claws and whatever it is that I need at that time. So practicing with animal medicine is is really helpful for me to come back to sort of my center, I guess, and just that that place of like safety, um, shaking, because I shook for so long, and I didn't express it fully. Now I have to do a shaking practice. So if something comes my way that rattles me, I have to be the rattle. And I just kind of be my own shaker and I shake it out so that I'm not carrying that because it always turns into anxiety for me if I don't shake mm-hmm. that note. And then salt baths. I live in salt baths. I, <laughs> I really like magnesium to me. It's just like so healing. So there were a couple of weeks there where I, when I was feeling kind of grief stricken by some of the responses I would get in the water and that would help me to just come back to it's okay you're held you know this isn't going to kill you because at times it felt like I might die from some of the responses it just it was really intense yeah Um, so those are some of the practical things that that I did that I think anybody can do right I find when the answers are something like connect with the earth, take a bath. I'm like, Oh, right. Is it that simple? <laughs> like, what, you know, what our brains try to be like counterclockwise three times. It's like probably our like Christian Christianized stuff where it has to, or like, I don't know, it's modern science where yeah. we're like, well, there's an algorithm and you have to crack the code <laughs> in order to fix yourself. And it's like, no, these are ways that our ancestors knew and we can remember lay on the yeah. earth shake it out, like be the shaker, lay in water, like, yes, 
Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Well, and if we need a hundred reminders, we'll get a hundred reminders. <laughs> and we'll it's get there. True. But you know, I think trauma almost se- separates us from those simple practices. Like it gets us in our mind. So then we do think, as you said, what are the five steps to coming back versus what does my body need? Let me just take a breath for one moment. Let me just lie in the earth for one moment. What do I really need right now? Because then, then we're not in that headspace of it all. We can just come back to what really needs to happen, which is to get back in our bodies and to feel like yeah. we are held and all is well. Yes. Connecting us back to our bodies being the earth yes. and the aspect of the earth being like the mother or being deeply rooted tree and taking, you know, composting waste back into like fertile soil again, this sort of regeneration, life, death, life cycle. Like it's here for us. She's here for us. And something that just came forward as you were speaking about that, as I worked with a medicine person recently who spoke about the mother being our, or not the mother, the earth being our father. And that was so fascinating for me because I, because I've had my own, um, you know, relationship issues with my own father. So connecting in that way, um, it's just a very different relationship. So it's something I wanted to offer to your listeners if, Uh you know, because we, we, so we go to mother earth so effortlessly, but what if the earth was our father? How would that feel? Would it feel any different? And how would that feel in our bodies? So it was something that really helped me during this time. Hmm. Yeah, I think I personally, just being honest, have a thing around like capital F father and like the Bible. Mm. Oh, and me, me trying to detach from the patriarchy. Mm. But I wonder if then I'm over gendering to the feminine right. in the natural world so much that it's actually, I don't know, in some way not serving. Because I do have like friends who are non-binary who are like, can you stop gendering this? Like, can we, like, what if it was, you know, a parental or a comforting, mm-hmm. a re- you know, a relation? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, that's interesting. So you bring up an interesting point because I, in spiritual circles, it's mother earth and it's mm-hmm. mother and it's great mother. And maybe not everyone has a great relationship with their moms, or maybe that doesn't resonate with everyone. So ways to make it relations, ways to make it comfortable or safe doesn't always need to be maternalized. Right. I love that. So yeah, maybe non-binary, just, just, yeah, something that's parental. And I I actually really love that. There's something that's really healing because I think I have always kind of leaned towards that divine feminine energy as well. So maybe it's just a unique, our unique paths that will guide that as to what we're really doing. And that's, that will come from going into our bodies and asking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our bodies. So I'm really interested in epigenetics mm-hmm. and generational trauma being passed down through our DNA. And I, th- I think I'm interested in it scientifically. I'm also interested in it from like a spiritual perspective. And, you know, there's also ways in which you can't like decode your DNA So there's this like understanding that, yes, that does feel true and it has been proven true. And yet I don't know what I'm carrying. Hmm. And I'm, I guess I'm interested in, because I know you do healing work. I know you hold circles and you work with clients. Like how do you, what is your approach or how do you navigate knowing that? Hmm. For me, the healing work that I do is always because I love to hold that space for you know, you are the powerful one. You are the medicine person within your own body and system. So it's a lot of shamanic journeying to, to, I guess, decode those things or just discover those things. But it really comes from my own experience of seeing, like my grandparents were in residential school and they were taken from their families, which basically the intention of residential school was to just strip the child of any love, any love, any care, you know, and you can imagine the impact that that had on all of those children and then the impact that has on their children and their children, because there's never that core unconditional love piece that we should have all received as children. And we should, we should say, so this was a government program that took indigenous children, separated them from their families on the reserve and put them in these schools. Yes. 
Yes. And it was to, to take the Indian out of the child, basically. That yes. was what they stated, to take the Indian out of the child. So I saw that impact, what that had on my grandparents who rarely spoke their language. My grandfather only knew Ojibwe going into school and then was beaten for speaking his language. So imagine going Ugh. to school where you don't, you don't know how to speak English, but that's what they're demanding you speak. You know, they cut everybody's hair, which is our hair, is such Ugh. a spiritual part of us and a way that we would, we would connect to our intuition and our knowing. So all of those things were taken and stripped away. So I, I was just curious when I started really listening and finding out about this, well, how does that impact me? And I realized that really was all of those feelings of unworthiness to practice my own teachings, all of those feelings of being terrified of teaching it to others or holding circle with them. It's still there. I can feel that that trauma because there was just, it was, it was like really bad for my grandparents. It was just wrong. It was, it was bad. It was wrong. It was shamed. It was stripped. It was beaten out of them. So of course that resonates in myself. Yeah. I can only speak to experience from how that really rooted inside of me. And then I started to notice it in my children. My first son was terrified of going to school and he would scream, mommy, do not let them snatch me away. Oh. I saw his face when he said that and he was crying. And we never used those words in our home. Where did he get that from? So I just really started to think, oh my goodness. And my husband's Jewish. So, I mean, there's there's generational trauma on both sides. Oh, right. right. His grandfather was in the Holocaust. So there's, oh, I just could God. see that. And I thought, I got to start doing something here because my children have, I mean, they also have an ancestral wisdom that runs so deep too. But I just started to see it being expressed, which is why I started to speak about the impacts of this. And then in my clients and the circles that I hold, it would just really be about let's journey to those places and those wounds and really feel like, is this connected to something? Can you feel it in your body? And then a lot of my clients are very capable medicine people in my own. I believe that they can access this information through the journeys that I take them on. And I've seen it happen over and over again. So I think we just need a portal, a catalyst, a space holder to just bring us to those places. And then the answers are all there. I've, I've seen it time and time again, that we can find wow. the places of ancestral trauma. We can unlock it and then we can bring it to the light so it can be healed. Wow. What a gift. What a gift to so many to help them access. That's a very powerful story about your child. Yeah. Wow. And beautiful that you took it seriously and immediately knew and addressed it. Yes. I think as mothers, we, we see that in them and we think, oh my goodness. And it's really because that's why I think part of my medicine is here is to break those cycles, to break those cycles, to be the change, to bring forward. In all honesty, it sounds cheesy, but I think it's like to bring forward some sunshine to, to our stories and healing and live a healed story and dream that life into being some way. So I hold all this trauma and I hold all this light too. I believe that. And I feel that. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, do you have any sort of connection to the, the language still? I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah. It's a really, I've taken two university courses to learn Ojibwe. It's a really difficult language to learn. And if yeah. we were all living in community, this is this is one of the problems. If we were all living in community and speaking it to each other, it would be so much easier to learn, but we're not anymore. So my grandfather, this is like, he would only speak it when he was drinking, which is, which is, really uh, bad, but it would, that's part of the trauma, right? So yeah, yeah, it's, it's hard to reclaim that language. And I, I try to learn as many words as I can, but it's like one step at a time, right? And and feeling, again, like feeling worthy of learning it and feeling like, am I doing this wrong? Am I doing this right? Where do I belong in this learning? All yeah. of those things come up. Of course. Of course. Yeah. What a, what, it's a quite a task to take on, particularly when like the, specifically the past two generations of your lineage, it's been about eliminating and it's, you know, the colonizer is quite powerful. Yes. And so to return to that, yeah, as a challenge, I'm, I, I hear that. 
And we also in our community, this is something that I've experienced, especially in the last year or two, is that lateral violence. Like the colonizer rooted in so deeply, we begin to colonize each other. We begin to say, you're not good enough because you are not living on a reserve or you haven't suffered enough or you, all of those things. Like, you know, you're not doing enough. You're not being an indigenous voice enough. You're not, those are the things I get in my DMs and it's really heartbreaking because that's the impact of the colonizer too, because now we're becoming violent with each other and putting each other down. We should be coming together to raise each other up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then it sounds like you didn't marry native. No. And there's, yeah, there's probably so much wrapped up in that. Oh my. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big, it's a big journey. The lateral colonization. Yeah. And the internal colonization, the internal like sort of belief systems we have, it's, it's so good to recognize because I think it's when it's there, the fog, like the amnesia of whiteness, or when you're just not aware of, of what you're doing, what, what you're continuing on. And so I really appreciate these sorts of conversations. And I like to have them like a hundred times <laughs> because it wakes up and activates all those cells that are dormant mm-hmm. being like, okay, this is what's happening. So we can do, you know, like one Ojibwe word a day or like me, like calling out one white woman a day, like whatever it is <laughs> just to like get us, you know, moving in in a new direction together. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love that. And that's all really, we can do our best. Like I've really just been rooting into that. Like we're doing our best. How can we do our best? How can we do our best? And how can we keep learning? How can we stay open and lean in and not become defensive? All of those things, which is right. It's a practice. Oh my gosh. Yeah. When I think about Becca five years ago, like my fragility was high. Like I was, yeah, I would just fall apart with criticism and not, yeah, not just, you know, in terms of cultural appropriation or race or colonization, but like just in terms of like, if my writing was critiqued, like Mm. just so fragile and it's taken, right. A practice. I love that word as opposed to like, it just takes time. Like it takes engaging with it. And like you, you put out that piece and then there was like a really intense response and you took time and you feel stronger, strong enough to do a part two, Yeah, you know? And so it's like, oh, I, I lived, I lived. Okay. Yeah. And I'm stronger and I know who and what I need around me. And I know it, I know I need to lay on the earth and I know I need a bath at night or whatever it is. I know I need, I don't have this strong circle around me to help me and talk through. And it's just, we're taking these atrophied muscles and we're strengthening them again. Yes. And I believe we all can do it. I think that call to courage, however it speaks to you, that's where the invitation comes in. That's where I, I do love and invite in white women to, to be to be voices or to share indigenous voices or voices that are uh, marginalized voices, because I think yes. we do need we need a platform. And it's it makes I feel so grateful I'm invited to a platform that wouldn't necessarily be something that, you know, would happen. So mm-hmm. that's, that's something I'm, I call in, you know, white women, and especially in our spiritual community, it's so important that we raise voices of people that don't look like us. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I have one final curiosity for mm-hmm. you, Asha. So I'm wondering if people listening are feeling like, wait, what? When I sort of alluded to this phrase, spirit animal, Mm. and then you later on in the conversation said, animal spirit, and you talked about bear and buffalo and deer. And so I'd love for you to share your perspective on working with animals Mm -hmm. and um, any parts of it that have been problematic in the culture and, and how you do it. Right. Well, I can only speak to, again, as one Indigenous voice, my Indigenous voice. Yes. Yes. I have worked, because I've worked in, I was working private practice for 15 years. Um, I That's actually how I started doing healing work is I would see people's ancestors and I would see an animal being around them. And mm. so they would just come really clearly and I thought, well, what is this medicine? So I worked with animal spirits or spirit animals for a long time in my community. And 
I will say that with all of the women I've worked with who are primarily white women, they have used this medicine respectfully and they've used it in a way that honors the animal. So that is what I teach, you know, and the, the things that I think are problematic are if we call our children spirit animals or we say pizza is my spirit animal, coffee is my spirit yeah. animal, those kind yeah. of, I mean, really, and I, I know that most listeners probably know that that's problematic. But also, I think you know they might not. Know, so okay. it's always time to educate. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they understand. It's very clear to them. You're like, oh, of course, it wakes up. That cell right. wakes up. Right. So that yeah, planting a seed, I guess. So that that is the one thing. And the other thing I think, from my perspective, that I teach is if you are going to engage with an animal being, an animal spirit, and you're going to use it as an ally or a totem or to help you as a guide, you know, again. Can you open your heart to the issues Indigenous people face in your country? If you are using part of this medicine, can you open your heart to the other parts? As I said in my letter, you want the beauty and not the trauma. So you're not going to take the trauma on, but are you going to help in some way and be a voice? And that's what the majority of my community does. They become allies. They become voices. They raise money. They march. They do all the, all the things. To because they are taking on some of this medicine and they know that's a responsibility. And then yes. how are you honoring it? I When I teach my um, spirit animal energy, it's, and then are we going to just leap onto the next, you know, the next spirit animal? Or are we going to spend time with it and say, I'm going to sit with it on my altar. I'm going to pray to this animal and ask for its help. I'm going to put an offering down for it. I'm, you know, I'm going to do the things that really honor it as a sacred being and and really deepen into that relationship it's just building relationships so that's something else that i teach my community um in that and other indigenous people would say you don't have a spirit animal my opinion is i've seen it around my white clients so i believe that that they they can yeah beautiful that's very that's very clear i think what really resonates with me is having a deeper reverence for this like ancient technology that has mm. been present within your lineage and so many lineages of, you know, the, the first nations people of this land, assuming you're on Turtle Island, you may mm -hmm. not be listening to understand. It's like a deeply powerful, sacred thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to use it <laughs> about anything else is just, you know, really causing harm. Yeah. Causing harm. And I know that there are people, that's one of the things people will get all up in arms about, right? To say, um, my ancestors used spirit animals. So I'm just like, good for you. Find them, find their teachings. Like I'm yeah. not saying they didn't. So it's like, you know, just, right. great. Go to your lineage, connect, learn, you know, do all the things with your own lineage then if they had spirit animals. That's amazing. Um, I'm not saying you can't do that. Right. When I, so I'm, I've been working a lot with my Celtic ancestry of mm. modern day Ireland, England, Wales, Scotland, and there are indigenous medicine women who are there and um, they always call it power animal mm. when, I, when I'm over there, when I'm working with them. Um, and that may be a nod to the worldwide appropriation of North American First Nation um, culture, mm -hmm. or it may be the term from the Celtic lineage, there's been colonization on those lands too. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's hard to know, but what, what helps ground all of this is, is looking to the lineage, which is hard. It you is know, it's hard. not easy. It would be a lot easier to just like have a dream catcher, but <laughs> that's not going to work. You know, that's not actually helping. So um, that's a lot of what I do in my ancestry work and belonging is encourage all of us to to dig deeper, to do a little more work there. Because when you can connect to all of us have a sense of indigeneity, when you can connect to even like a little like sparkly dust of indigeneity, like from one of the lands your people are from, it just feels so much deeper just feel so much powerful. And then you can look, cause you know, so many of us live here stolen land to look to the people of these lands and have like a deeper respect for their medicine. Yeah. That's such important work. I'm so glad you're on this earth at this time doing that work. Yeah. Thank you.
Thank you. And I'm so glad you're here on earth at this time on the internet, talking to me on a microphone. What a miracle. And sharing your journey. Thank you for sharing the hard stuff. I know that can't be easy. And thank you for your words. I'm so excited to read part two when it's time for you. And I'm really looking forward to continuing to letting the world know about you and your work. So if... Yeah, so people can find you is at ashafrost.com. Yes. Yep. And then asha.frost on Instagram. Great. It's cool. so nice to have uh, just I'm so grateful to have this conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. I know your time is sacred and the fact that you spent it with me talking about belonging means a lot. If you want to access show notes or links to old episodes, check out belongingpodcast.com. And if you know a friend who could really benefit from listening to this episode, share it with them. I'll talk to you soon.